Matthew 23:11 said, "He that is greatest among you shall be your servant." And if you want to be successful today, learn to serve people and get out of the box. Just think about it for a while. If God's given you a talent, use it. Number nine is somewhat similar to the first question that was asked, discerning your needs from your wants. And we said that Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But I just want to share another point concerning discerning wants from needs especially for you parents. It's a very, very easy thing for parents to say, well, I didn't have anything when I was a kid, so I want my kids to have everything they need, everything they want, just really to enjoy life. And let me tell you something, you can destroy them in doing so. You can destroy your children by giving them everything they want when you think you're really helping them and you're hurting them. But let me say to the parents that God's Word tells us that this is true also of parents to children. Just as life does not give everything to you, your children must learn at the earliest possible age that life is not, that the world does not owe them a living. If your children have needs while they're under your roof and they're going to school, if they have needs, I think that it is, behooves a parent as much as is possible to meet those needs. Now, if that child has wants, that's a different story. I think that if your children come to you and they're old enough to go out and make some money, and by the way, I, I want to tell you, don't think that they have to get very old to do that. There's some children in this church right now that are very young that are going out and making their own money. And when they come to you and say, Boy, Dad, I want a new bicycle. Say, I think that's a fantastic idea. How much do you think a bicycle is going to cost you? Probably about $135. Well, how many lawn jobs do you think you can get to earn that at? Say, no, I really think it'd be fantastic for you to have a bicycle. I really do. But now, if they have wants, and they want wants, I think that they should learn that it's going to cost them something for those wants. I have been in the homes of children where they have toys that are piled up and gimmicks that are piled up and broken and everything. It didn't cost them anything, so they have no sense of need for caring for it. But you let them have to work for weeks and weeks and weeks for something, and then they purchase it, all of a sudden it has a totally different meaning for them. If they have needs, supply those needs. If they have wants, tell them to either work for it or to pray for it and see which comes in first. And give them Proverbs 13.4. Parents, give them Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. You want something, go out and get it. Now, I, you know, I used to chafe under that as a boy. When my father had me at the, in the third grade, had me go out and sell vegetables, earn my school clothes, I used to chafe under that when I used to have to work while I was going to junior high and senior high for my wants, but I thank God for it now. Every summer, I was either detussling corn or hoeing cockleburs or doing something where you'd work anywhere from 30 to 60 hours a week. And uh, you know one thing? I had a terrible time finding time to get into trouble, but it felt good when I brought that check home every week. So it's good not to give them their needs. If you do provide their wants, all their incentive is gone. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verses 11 and 12. And that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye have lack of nothing. Study to be quiet and to do your own business and work with your own hands. The work ethic in the Christian circles 
is a solid ethic. It's sound. God says, if any man will not work, neither let him eat. And that principle should be instilled in your children at home. Children should be given particular responsibilities in the home and say, now that is your responsibility. I won't take that responsibility away from you. If you live here and we live here and there are responsibilities within this home, each of us will share in those responsibilities. If you don't do it, when you don't do those responsibilities, we will remove from you other privileges. We won't have to take those privileges away from you. You will take those privileges away from you. For example, if I tell you that you're to be in by midnight or 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock, whenever it is, and you get in at 11 o'clock, the following weekend, that weekend will be taken away from you. You will stay at home. Now, I didn't take that away from you. I told you what time to be in, and if you don't get in then, you took it away from yourself. Don't blame me. But if you want something, and you want it badly enough, you begin to pray and ask God to show you how, as a boy or a girl, young person, we've got them all upstairs this morning so they can't get mad at me, you figure out how you can make some money. When they're really little, sometimes you can give them some incentives. Say, honey, if you'll go out and wash my car, if you'll go out and clean out that garage out there really nice for mom and dad, then we'll give you 50 cents or we'll give you a dollar, whatever you can get away with, you know. But they, they learn responsibility at that time. And they learn that there's a reward for physical labor. And I'm glad they're upstairs. I might not have gotten away with that. But then as they learn the work ethic, ethic, then you let them go out to the neighbor and the friends. But let me tell you something you have to be very careful of. When they go out to work for the neighbor, when they're through, you go and check that work. They're going to get very disgusted with you because you'll come and say, no, this isn't right, this isn't. Do it right now. Do it as under the Lord. Do this, this, this. Oh, I didn't think that was important. Yeah, that's important. You've got to do it right. I'll tell you why. Because they get out on the market if the boss does it to them and you've never done it to them, they'll think that boss is a real bear and they don't want to work for him. But if they just say, wow, he does the same thing my dad does. I better get it right because if I don't get it right and he doesn't like it and he calls my dad or talks to my dad, my dad will be all over me too, see? Okay? But teach them responsibility that way and don't give them everything they want. Give them their needs. And you begin to discern what is a want and what is a need in your home. There are two more points I want to bring out tonight, and I trust that this has been of enough interest to you and applicable to your daily life enough that you'll find 6 o'clock time when you can hardly wait to get back and find out the, the final aspects of this truth that my money is a trust from God. And I thank the Lord for the faithfulness of God's people here that you do have a hunger for God's Word and for fellowship with God's people. I trust that these principles will help you to be established because I know one thing, when we walk uprightly, according to God's principles, he's duty-bound to meet our needs. If we'll fulfill these aspects of, of financial requirements, he will fulfill our needs. Much of this material that I've been sharing with you has come from the advanced seminar, from Bill Gothard's seminar, and simply been, I've been elaborating on the points that he makes. And that's why I encourage families, as often as I can, if you have a chance at all to go to a Bill Gothard seminar, you need to do so. Your children from the ages of about 15 on up should go with you and then talk about some of the things that you learn. These principles will establish you in the days ahead with basic convictions in your home which are required, which are necessary today if we're going to stand as believers. I trust that these things will be not only applicable to you but profitable to you in the days ahead. I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage anyone, you know, to become disloyal where they're working. I don't mean that at all. In fact, any Christian that works at a job has a 
scriptural and a spiritual obligation to try to make their boss successful. You should do everything you can to make him succeed. When you're dealing with his money, be more particular than you would be if it were your money. You don't just throw things away. I know of, uh, of construction jobs where people have been working with somebody else's money, cost plus job. And literally, there's a family here that knows where I'm talking about, but, but literally on one building, that the house that they built here in the Lake Mary area, there were two stacks of $27 panels this high with little pieces cut off of them. Two piles of them. That man that was working did not try to make the other person successful. But if you're there to make your boss successful and you let him know that that's what you want to do, I want you to succeed, and anything I can do to make you succeed will make me happy, then when you begin to go out and attempt your own work, you'll be able to say, Now, Lord, I have tried to be a faithful steward with those for whom I have worked. Now I ask you to bless me as I begin to operate in the principles that you've given me from Scripture in my own business. And bring to me men and women who will make me to be successful. You see, what you sow, you what? Can't fail. It's always got to be that way, doesn't it? Give and it shall be given unto you. If you give lousy work to someone else, look out, it's going to come back on you. It'll come back to you one way or another. Father, thank you for these principles. Thank you that your word has been written for our benefit, for our good, for our strength, for our encouragement. We thank you and praise you, Father, that you love us so much. You know our every need, and you want to supply it. Cause us to be faithful to you and faithful to your word, and then to expect to see the answers to prayer. We commit this time to you and ask that no heart will go away today, but what somehow the Spirit of God will have spoken to them to know that your thoughts toward us are continually good, that you want our lives to be fruitful and meaningful today. With every head bowed, may I just ask this morning, maybe God has spoken to you about a particular need in your life and you know your heart isn't where the Lord would have it to be. And it seems like everything you try just does not work out. It just seems like there's turmoil. God has spoken to you in these areas and shown you that you've violated scriptural financial principles. By the upraised hand, you say, Pastor, this morning I want to be in order with God's Word. I want to come into line with God's Word in financial principles. I want you to pray for me this morning that I'll be everything that God wants me to be in the days ahead. Concerning my work, concerning future opportunities, concerning my finances, my stewardship, I want to be what God wants me to be. Pray for me this morning. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, yes, I see those hands. God bless you. Thank the Lord. Anyone else? Yes. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for these hands that have been raised. I'm so thankful that man looks on the outward appearance, but you look on the heart. And you see exactly what's going on in that heart right now in the name of Jesus to the degree that they're saying, I want you to be Lord of that area of my life. Blessed Holy Spirit, come in and take control of that life. Minister grace and wisdom and understanding and obedience and strength to their hearts that they'll be able to know and look back and say that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper 
we confess that true we confess it for each one and in the name of Jesus we expect to see it coming as we walk in obedience to these biblical principles in Jesus name we ask it for his sake Amen we talked this morning about determining God's reason for our lack of funds went into a lot of detail on that as to whether I needed to be testing my faith and so forth and then we talked about discerning needs from wants. And while the young people were upstairs, I clued your parents in on how to deal with you young people. So you'll have to talk to them about that. And then tonight, the tenth thing is to prepare for contingencies. To prepare for contingencies. Would you look at Philippians, the fourth chapter with me? Philippians chapter 4. It's a very, very important lesson for all of God's people to learn. We can actually go back to verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Father, quicken our spirits tonight. Blessed Holy Spirit, come and take these very simple scriptural principles and apply them to our hearts, quicken them to our hearts, so that in the days ahead we'll remember them and be able to walk in them and operate by them, and knowing that when we operate by your principles, the laws of God are moving in to our advantage. Minister these truths to us in Jesus' name. We do ask it and for his sake. Amen. Paul had to learn a very, very important lesson as a believer, and that was that there are many times when there is prosperity and abundance. There are other times when there is need. And you don't have to live very long in life. Most people don't have to live very long in life. But what they find that this is a reality. There are times when everything seems to flow. There are other times when things don't seem to flow like they ought to. You can look all the way through the Scripture and see different saints of God who were in times of abundance and times of need. And I believe that it's the, the times of need that cause us to lean all the more heavily upon the Lord, make us to recognize anew and afresh that He is our source. You know, if you've never had to come to a place where you didn't know how to meet next month's bills or you didn't know how to get food on the table the next day, you've never had the blessing of having to trust the Lord. And there's no greater thrill in the world than to find out that he's alive and concerned about your every need. But the thing I want to talk about here in preparing for contingencies is that there are many, many Christians that, that miss one biblical principle, and that is, watch how you budget your income. You know, there are a lot of couples that budget themselves or set up their payments based upon overtime and based upon both the husband and the wife working, and they'll set up their payments as though that's never going to be any different. And then when the overtime quits, then when they cut back on the job, they're suddenly in a deep emergency situation. Now, I know that it's nice to have nice things as quickly as you can possibly get them. It's nice to have nice things in your home, but we talked this morning about what is a definite need. I wish I could just stop and let different ones in the congregation share with you what they have purchased this past week and find out goodness if we had gone to a store, it would have cost us hundreds of dollars. But we were able to find this and this and this and this. And I said, you know, that could become a regular practice. Now, there's one little secret. When you go to find things that you want to buy, 
in a flea market or in a garage sale. Don't go down in Skid Row looking for something nice there. Watch for Husky Realty development over there. Whenever one of those places have a sale, or over in the Springs, or over in Apple Valley, or somewhere, if they're going to have a garage sale, go there, because usually these are people that have nice things that they, they just get tired of it sometimes, or they just say, well, it isn't working exactly right, I'd rather get rid of it, get another one, and they've got the money to do it many times. That's the place to go if you want to get something. But what I'm saying is when you begin to budget, don't budget yourself so tightly that if there is a contingency, something comes up you weren't expecting, you get knocked down completely. Set your priorities for slim time. Set your budget for slim time. When the abundance comes, set it aside. I'll tell you, now what I'm preaching to you is something that many people in their particular fields have to learn how to do on a regular basis. If you're in the area of sales, let me assure you, it can be feast, it can be famine. I can remember years ago when I was in business and was not able to be in full-time ministry at that particular time. I was in business and sometimes would bring home a humongous, may I use that word, humongous paycheck for the month. More than I ever dreamed I would ever be able to make. But then later on when that particular sales program quit, it got very, very slim for several months. Now, had we lived up here, you know, on the top of the mountain all the way through, we would have really been in trouble the next few months. And there are those that teach school. Now, these people that teach school, they say, boy, they're getting a good salary for only nine months a year, but they've got to budget that nine months a year for 12 months a year. So all summer, they've got to make sure that they take out enough each month and set it aside so they can make it through the summer. And if they don't do it, they're the ones that are going around the corners of the mouth hanging down saying this world is mean and this world is cruel and things are rough. And it is many times their own fault because they don't budget ahead of time. And when the sum comes, all of a sudden it hits them that they are unemployed for three months. If you go on strike, my wife's relative, one of her relatives right now owns a big company up in Louisville, Kentucky, and they're on strike. The people there were making fabulous money. I mean, insurance on the side, hospitalization on the side, all these nice features on the side as added benefits, and they got the union in there, and the union said, you're not getting enough, you need to get more, and they went on strike, and they've been on strike for nine weeks now. And all the management in the shop is just going on. They're making more money in the shop than they ever made with all the union men in there. And they're just continuing to carry it on. These fellows sitting out there probably planned that within three or four weeks the company would have crumbled. But now, no contingencies, and they're going under. Learn to set up a contingency account. Base your budget upon a steady, sensible level, and not on overtime, and not on super production. And I only say that because it'll save you some scars. And I, I said it before that one of the greatest pressures on the home today is financial. More homes are destroyed today because of financial pressures, I imagine, than most any other cause. People start saying nasty things to each other when they can't pay their bills, and, and uh, the wife begins to belittle the husband, or the husband begins to tell the wife that she's spending too much money, and that's where it all begins. So that, just that, that thought. Now, the 11th thing is be sensitive to, to God's direction in giving. The first thing, distribute to the necessity of the saints. Would you turn to 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. Be sensitive to the necessity and distributing to the necessity of saints. 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, verses 17 through 19. You say, well, Brother Webb, that doesn't speak to me. It says, those that are rich in this world. If you want to see how rich you are, go to China or go to 
down into the, the islands in the Caribbean or go over to Poland right now. Go to some of these other areas where we, you begin to see poverty. India. Uh, many nations where they've never known what a full meal is. I think that we can honestly say that the scriptures are speaking to us here. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Now this says charge them, command them, instruct them, direct them. Use whatever word you want there, but in other words, it's not an option. He's saying if you want to be obedient to the gospel, this is what you should do, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Why? Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He says, now teach them to do these things because all they're doing is continuing to increase it's continuing to increase to their account in that day when they stand before God, but teach them to be willing to distribute and ready to distribute and have that which is necessary to distribute. In another place it talks about distributing to the necessity of the saints. Look with me at 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, one chapter back. 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 5. We talked the other day about the elderly ladies in the church. It says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. What is a widow indeed? Do you have any idea? A widow indeed is one who has no family left whatsoever. Now, you know, we've almost allowed the government to take over the work of the church. But a widow indeed in the scripture, it says that if, if there is a woman whose husband has passed away, in other words, if she has brothers and sisters or if she has children, if she has family, she is still not a widow indeed. She's not desolate. She's not a desolate widow. But if you find a widow indeed who has no means of support whatsoever, then it behooves the church to support and to take care of the needs of that particular widow who is a widow indeed. The church is responsible for taking care of the financial needs and the material needs of that widow who is a widow indeed. Now, if that widow has family, they are totally responsible for the care of that widow. She should be taken care of, see that her needs are met, and if they don't, they're worse than an infidel. But the word here says that we should be in a position to take care of the widows in the church. We should be able to give to those that are in need in the church. Galatians, the sixth chapter. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we therefore have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Now that word men is in italics. It actually says do good unto all. As Christians, we should go about doing good works. But then it says, especially unto them who are of the household of what? Household, who's that? Other Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ. As we therefore have opportunity. It does not say when you are put in a corner. When you are pushed up against the wall. When you can't avoid it and get away from it. Then do it. It says, as you have opportunity, when something comes before you and there's an opportunity for you to minister to those of the household of God, do it because you're going to be laying up treasures for the days ahead. Give and what? 
shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall God, shall the Lord give into your bosom. Second, being sensitive in God's direction of giving, we're not going to stay with that very much, but returning the tithes to the storehouse. Now, there are some people who just believe that there is no such thing as a storehouse today. I'll give my tithes wherever I want to. I will say it again. They will be walking in disobedience to God's Word. And God's Word says if we're disobedient, He will deal with us. It is not my tithe. I do not give my tithes to this church. I return my tithes to the Lord through this body, which is my storehouse, where I fellowship, where I get fed, where I grow, where I do not put the muzzle on him that treadeth out the corn, the one that's studying the word of God, the one that's feeding me, the one that I am to submit as a spiritual authority over me. That's where I'm to bring the tithe, because I believe in that ministry. I believe God's called that ministry for my purpose and my food and my fellowship and my growth, and that's where we support the ministries of the world that God lays upon the church. Now, if God speaks to me and says, give over here, give over there, I go beyond and say, now, Lord, I want a special blessing. I want added blessings. I am going to give beyond the tithe that I've returned to you as a seed faith gift, as a praise gift, as a, as a faith gift. I'm going to give it to you for the work of the ministry. I'm just, now, there's some people who say, Brother Webb, I don't believe that. Fine. When we get to heaven, we'll see what the Lord says. All I know is what the Word says. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. And I'll tell you this one thing. I know that God blesses and God honors those that obey his word in this matter. I've been in the ministry long enough that I have watched it down through the years. That sooner or later, some people, you know, sometimes you think, Lord, don't you even see what they're doing? I said to my wife, I said, you know, we're, people are so lucky that we're not in control of what's going on around here. Because I said, there'd be so many people that'd be slapped up against the wall too quick. Too quickly. The, the, we're just so quick to judge and say, straighten up. And we just have to give them to the Lord and say, Lord, you deal with them. And sometimes he's so patient and I'm so thankful. If he weren't, I'd be in deep trouble. But eventually, if they don't do what God says, eventually there's a price to be paid. Then quickly, ask some questions before you begin to give. The first question, is the organization to which I'm giving true to the word of God? Is it true to the Word of God? Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter? Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter. You know that when the, the, the children of Israel brought the, returned their tithes to the Lord, that the Lord would have them make a pledge? The Lord would let them make a pledge to Him or a, a vow to Him, make a statement of their purpose, beginning with verse 12 of chapter 26. Verse 12. And when thou hast made an end of what? All tithes. By the way, the Jews had three different tithes, at least. When thou hast made an end of tithing, all the tithes of thine increase the third year, which is the year of tithing, and hast given it unto the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within thy gates and be filled. That was one of the tithes. They would take and give it to the Levite and the widows and the fatherless and so forth, to the poor. When Then thou shalt say before the Lord thy God, this is the vow you pledge you'd make to him, I have brought away the hallowed things out of mine house, 
and also have given them unto the Levite and unto the stranger, to the fatherless and to the widow, according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I have not eaten thereof in my mourning, neither have I taken away aught thereof for any unclean use. I wonder how many of us could say this about our tithes. Now, Lord, I, I, haven't, I haven't taken any of it. I haven't cheated any. I haven't put any aside for any other use. That's, that's sacred. It's hallowed. I set it to the side for your work and for your ministry. Then listen. Nor given aught thereof for what? The dead. May I just share with you there are a lot of believers that around in, in this country today who cannot make that statement. I haven't given anything to the dead. There are a lot of them today that are giving to dead ministries. Ministries that are not alive. They're pumping them into churches that died a long time ago. Stuart Hamlin, years ago, right after he got saved, was asked to come to a big, prestigious Presbyterian church in Boston, Massachusetts. And when he got up, he said that preacher had a big dress on, and he got up the pulpit. He said, I wasn't used to a man wearing a dress, but he got up behind the pulpit and said, We are so thankful to have Brother Hamlin here today to share with us his experience with God. And with that, he sat down. And if you know old Stuart Hamlin, he was a rough and tough cowboy. He stood up with his red shirt on and uh, I believe, forget what the color of his ribbon or bandana around his neck was, and black pants and, and big boots on. He stood up and he looked back at that one girl, I mean that lady, and that, that preacher. That's the way he said it. He looked back at that lady with the dress on. And, and I looked back at the congregation. He said there were nothing. It looked like a pack of animals out there, fur all over everyone. Diamonds and jewels hanging off of everyone. And he said, I felt like I was in a refrigerator. He said, we want Brother Homlin to know that President George Washington worshipped God in this church. And he sat down. And Stuart Hamlin looked around at him and looked out of the audience. He said, and after about twice of that, he said, I couldn't stand any longer. He said, preacher, he said, forgive me. But he said, as I look at this congregation, I'm beginning to believe that George Washington and God left about the same time. People giving to a dead organization. And they had to make a pledge, God, I haven't given anything to the dead. And I just want to say to you, scriptural principles say that we should not give money to a dead organization. Make sure that it's alive and functioning for God. Second, is there fruit being produced in that ministry? Do you see people that are growing, Lord? Do you see lives that are being transformed? the eyes of the blind seeing and the captive being set free? Do you see the ministry of missions going forward? Someone said a dead church, drew a picture of a dead church one time, just a missionary box in the corner with a cobweb down across the top of the slot in the top of the box. So that's evidence of a dead church. No desire, no hunger, no burden for mission. And that's the next question. Is there fruit being produced in that ministry? Third, are the leadership illustrations of the message? Are those that are in leadership illustrations of the message? Can they say to you, follow me as I follow Christ? If they can't, then you ought not to be there. If they can, then you need to pray for them earnestly that they can continue to say that very thing. Because I'll tell you, Satan will pay a high price to destroy leadership. And I thank God for the men that God has given us in this body and the future leadership that's coming up in this body, and for the faithfulness of the men when we call upon them to have a part in this ministry here, the response that we receive. I thank God for that. But it's very essential in any ministry you're tied to that it not be dead, and that also that the leadership are illustrations of the message. 
And then is the money in that ministry being used wisely? Is the money in that ministry being used wisely? And there have been many ministries lately that have come under scrutiny because it, monies have been misused by different groups, and that's why each quarter the officers put a financial statement up there on the board, and we assure you that in every effort we try to pray very earnestly that every cent is spent is spent wisely, that it will bring forth fruit. And I thank God that, that I'll never, I, I don't believe I'll ever have to stand before the Lord ashamed because God has given us some men who really desire to know the mind of the Spirit in these matters, and I praise the Lord for it. Now, these are just some of the principles that the Lord has laid on my heart to ask me to share with you. Based upon the conviction, my money, your money is a trust from God. Whether you have much or whether you have little, it's still a trust from God. In fact, the Scripture says that if you have much, you have a greater responsibility than he that has little. Because it's so much easier to live the kind of life you want to live if you have much rather than to be earnestly desirous of knowing how God wants you to use every penny that you see. Now, when God gives you more responsibility, God gives you more blessings. If you will use it in a way that's pleasing to him, the rewards are much greater. But that's why Jesus said there are very few rich that get into heaven. Not many rich, he said. Not many wise. One very rich English lady one time said she got into heaven just by the letter M. Someone said, what do you mean by the letter M? She said, if it had said not any rich, I'd have been in trouble. But it says not many rich. And God has blessed us financially, but she says it all belongs to him now. And I want you to know that I am one person that God has made to be rich, but I am his child, and I want to serve him with everything he's put into my hands. My money is a trust from God and must be managed according to Scripture principles. I trust that these truths about that aspect of your daily life, and I think we're right down where the rubber meets the road. We've been talking about bills, bottles, and babies, or whatever else we have to talk about, the, the necessary things in daily experience that can help us to begin to function and flow and prosper as God wants us to, to prosper. I really believe that with these truths, if you can go over them, renew them and refresh them in your mind, if you'll begin to function with these scriptural principles, God will honor you, and you'll be able to look back and see that his truth, his word is true, and that he does want to prosper you in a financial way. But again, the sluggard desires much, but has nothing. He said that you must be willing to work, and if you're diligent in your work, that God's blessings will be upon you. He will honor you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank for these truths. Thank you, Lord, that it's impossible to fail when we walk according to your principles. Keep us day by day in the center of your will, doing your purpose for the glory of God. We commit this time to you, this night to you, these truths to you, and pray that this coming week will be a time of encouragement and blessing as we begin to operate according to scriptural principles and see your blessings in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask it, and for his sake, amen. convictions, scriptural convictions, which every man must teach his family in order to protect them from the, the world and Satan and the flesh, and uh, it's becoming a sizable a number of notes. 
But finally, we're to number nine. We have one more after this to go, and I think that every one of them have been absolutely essential for us to get grounded in and rooted in what the Word has to say about it, that our homes can be what God wants them to be. Again, our homes, our churches will never be any stronger than our families. Our families make up the church. And so it's essential that our homes be strong in the things of the Lord. The ninth conviction, my words, must be in harmony with God's Word especially when reproving and restoring a Christian brother. Point number one, my words must be in harmony with God's word. God is harmonious in all things that he does. Everything that God has created flows in harmony. Man brings things into disharmony. Satan brings things into disharmony. You'll take uh, nature of, uh, here in Florida, for example, the ecology of Florida. God had created it so one part of nature would take care of the other part of nature, and another one would protect another part of nature. And then man came in and upset the whole ecology, and we're living with the results of it. I was told this morning that this building now is hooked up to city water because the well outside has gone dry. And I don't know how many years that old tank has been up there full of water, but men have come down here and have drawn so much water out of the ground, and then with the drought that we have, the well has gone dry. Rivers have gone dry. Lakes have gone dry. The sinkholes are forming, and they say more and more of them will be coming. In the days ahead, the Everglades are burning off because of the dryness down there, the pollution that's down in the ground, because men do not harmonize with what God has created. God's Word talks a lot about harmony, and God desires that we harmonize and agree with him. When you and I come into agreement with what God says, then we can begin to expect miracles to happen. And Satan's greatest victory in the life of a believer, now hear me when I say this, Satan's greatest victory in the life of a believer comes when he can steal the word away from a saint. You remember the word says that a sower, certain sower went forth to sow seed, and the first seed fell on the hard path where people walked, and Satan came and snatched it and took it away. And Jesus explained that that was the, the person who received the word but did not understand it. And before he had a chance to understand it, Satan came and took it away from him. And one of the greatest victories that Satan has today is to keep Christians ignorant as to what the word of God says or to take away a truth from the word from them so that they cannot make the confession that God wants them to make and have the victory that God wants them to have. And so men go around today who are believers, and women go around today as believers, making negative confessions that are out of harmony with what God's Word says, and consequently, turmoil and upheaval takes place in the life of many believers. The book of Proverbs tells us, and many saints don't know this, Proverbs 6, 2 says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. When Jesus was on earth, it was interesting to note from whence he received his vocabulary. What did Jesus go around saying? Jesus never went about saying careless words, did he? In fact, time and time again, he referred to where he got his words. John 8, 26. Look at it. John 8, 26. Now, we should know where Jesus got his words so that we'll know where to get our, from whence we should get our words. If we get our words from the same source that Jesus got his words, we can begin to expect things to happen, can't we? I don't know of too many things that Jesus said without something happening, do you? In the first place, God spoke, and what happened? And it was, that's right. Let there be light, 
and there was light. John 8, 26, I speak to the world those things which I have what? Heard of. Who's him? God the Father. Satan says, Jesus said, you don't ever hear me saying things that Satan tells me to say. Every word that I say to you are words which I heard of him. Listen to what the Living Bible says. I say only what I am told to by the one who sent me. Can you imagine what would happen if the church would be able to say that same thing? I only say those things which the one who sent me told me to say. Wouldn't it be incredible how many frivolous, non-productive words come out of the life of believers today and they wonder why there's no fruit in our lives? And as I studied this, God was convicting me of these very things as I was reading these verses. Verse 28, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Again, the Living Bible, I have not been telling you my own ideas, but have spoken what the Father taught me. Now, because Jesus was careful in his vocabulary and only spoke those things that the Father told him to say, he could declare, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, there's only one proper source of words for the believer today. Where is that? The Bible. If Jesus said the only words I speak are the ones that come from the Father, because Jesus was to come to manifest the Father, and the saints today are here to manifest and make real and make uh, visible who? Jesus Christ then our source of words ought to be the Word of God. John 14, 23 says, If any man love me, he will keep my words. He will keep my words. Does that mean he locks them up? Does that mean he puts them in a leather-bound book and sets them up on the shelf and says, Ah, oh, there's his word. I'm keeping it. There I'm keeping his word on the shelf. That's not what Jesus is talking about, is he? If any man loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, The word which ye hear... Now, first of all, by the way, there in verse 23, he calls them my words, doesn't he? Now, in verse 24, he changes that a little bit. The word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. In John 17, 17, he said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The word is truth, isn't it? The word of God is truth. Now, the evidence of a person being a saint, Jesus says, is that they hear and keep his word. And in John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I said to you before that that's written in the Greek in the present indicative. We have present, past, present, and future in the English. And they have seven declensions in the Greek. And this particular one is present indicative, which means my sheep keep on hearing. My sheep are in the habit of hearing on a daily basis, my sheep are hearing my voice. That's what it's actually saying there. My sheep are in the habit of hearing my voice. How? Look at John, the 16th chapter. John 16, 13, and 14. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine my words, and shall show it unto you. 
How is it to happen? How is it say to get it? By the Spirit of God revealing the Word of God to us. Now, you and I will read the Word, and many times God will speak a special word to us through the Word of God. The Word of God is the Logos, and many times God will speak to you a rhema. He'll give you a rhema and say, this is for you. Now, I've said before that the difference between the Logos, the Logos is written to us in the New Testament for us and our admonition in the Old Testament. Uh, otherwise, just because I read that Moses stuck the rod out over the sea and it parted, I have never gone out yet and stuck the rod out over my lake to see if it would part. God didn't say, Joe, you go stick the rod out. That was not a rhema to me. That was a rhema to Moses. But God did give me a rhema one time and said, if you'll pray for such and such, I'll heal them. Now, he didn't say, if you'll pray for the whole congregation, I'll heal all of them at once. But he gave me a special rhema and said, pray for this person and I'll heal them. God has given me a rhema from time to time and told me about a specific situation ahead of time. Now, that's above and beyond, and, and we need to be listening. We need to be open for God to speak to us with the rhema. But he said our grounding and our, sub, our, our foundation upon which we stand is to be the written word of God. Now, that'll, that'll keep a lot of error away. I'm sure, as you know, Satan as an angel of light comes to us to try to deceive us. He came to Jesus and he said, if thou be the son of God, get up there on top of that temple and jump down. Because the scripture says, he'll not let your foot be dashed against the stone. And how many times have I heard Christians say, uh, give me a scripture verse for something. And I realized that what they were giving me was only a half truth and Satan had deceived them. And that's why it's essential that we become rooted and grounded in the word of God so that every wind of doctrine, every idea that comes along doesn't blow us over. But when we get the Logos, we can judge the rhema that comes to us. And Jesus said, thus it is written. He didn't say, well, now, you know, in my philosophy class that I had last year, uh, it said really that that wasn't the most rational thing. He didn't get involved in that at all. He says, thus it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Boom. That's all he needed to say, the word of God. And I've had people come to me and say, oh, I got a chill down my spine. And I just felt the glory bucket all over me. It just ran from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And God told me that I wasn't supposed to tithe anymore. I mean, the Holy Ghost chills just ran up and down my spine. And I, I don't have to tithe anymore. I said, I said, there's something wrong with the source in which you got that. Oh, the Lord just told me that uh, my husband and I aren't married anymore. That uh, he just gave me a divine revelation. I'm supposed to go out into evangelism. And I'm supposed to leave my husband at home and travel with this other evangelist. Now, he, I, now, don't tell me I saw it. I just saw the light. I saw the glory. I saw God. I saw Jesus. Now, listen, I'm not being facetious. I've heard people say things like this. Do you know why they get tricked like that? They aren't rooted in the Word. Someone came to me this week and said, my wife just talked to me on the phone and said that we are not physically, spiritually, mentally, socially, in any way in God's sight married anymore, that God said that I'm free now to serve Him and to be the woman of God that he wants me to be. That's not a true rhema, is it? Literally, two Christian couples came to the pastor and said that they had been praying about it, they had been having prayer meetings together and had prayer about it, and God finally showed them they were to swap husband and wife. God told them they're supposed to do it. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Thy word is truth. Look at what Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 has to say. Anytime you and I receive anything that we think is from God, you check it very quickly with the Scripture. If it's consistent with the Scripture, then wait on it. And if it comes to pass, then it's of God. But if it's not consistent with the Word, it is not of God. 
This man said to his wife, But what about the scripture that says you're married for life? God has revealed to me through a higher truth that we're not married anymore. That's exciting, isn't it? Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. But I've gotten a higher truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture, write this in, is God-breathed. Is God-breathed. That's what it's actually saying. God spoke it. All Scripture is God-breathed given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So when you hear someone say that they had this special vision, they had this special truth come to them, that in the middle of the night an angel stood by their bed and they could feel the brush, the, the, the moving of the air from its wings, and he told them to go and do something. You check it with the word of God. If it isn't so, reprove them. Say, no, that's not of God. All scripture is God-breathed. If it isn't right with the scripture, it isn't right. Second Timothy 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, and his kingdom, preach what? The word, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure or listen to sound doctrine. We're there, whether you know it or not. They won't do it today. There are people that absolutely refuse to listen to sound doctrine. If you want to feel like you've got the plague, just preach a series on marriage, divorce, and remarriage with the bent that I have preached it, and you'll know that they will not endure sound doctrine today. You feel as though you have the plague. And I can honestly tell you that I can go away saying glory to God, and not one of them has been able to come to me with the word and say, Brother Webb, here is where you missed it. And I love them, and I would give anything if they would do that. If, they were, if there's one of them feels that I'm wrong, would come and say, Hey, Brother Webb, here's where you missed it. But they won't endure sound doctrine. They'll actually come and say, Brother, I see it. I see it. Uh, it's a hard truth. I can't deny it. It's in the Word. But I can't preach it. God help them. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto men's misguided ideas. That's what the fables is there. Men's misguided ideas you see you're going to if you're going to follow after what you think is truth if you won't follow the word you're going to have to find something to replace it and so they're going to come up with men's misguided ideas in place of god's word and the end surely is going to be uh, confusion disharmony and eventual destruction when they turn away from god's word but in order to please god we have to say what the word says Again, my words must be in harmony with God's Word, and it's difficult to do. You remember some time ago, about a year and a half ago or two years ago, when I spoke on the tongue? At the very close of that, I gave six con conclusions on it. It said, God warns us that we will never tame our tongue, the first thing. Second, we are responsible for every word we speak. Third, we cannot control our tongue because it will always reveal the two true thoughts of our inner spirit. Fourth, 
Wrong conclusions or attitudes which we allow in our spirit will be conveyed in our words, facial expressions, and tonal patterns. If you have a wrong attitude or a wrong conclusion, it'll come out sooner or later. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? Now, there's a verse after each one of these that I, and I didn't give them to you, but I could. Uh, the fifth one is, Our tongue is a daily reminder and motivation to purify our hearts. James 4, 8. Six, we must ask forgiveness for every offense of the tongue. But in so humbling ourselves, we receive more grace to purify ourselves. Now, remember, grace is the desire and power to do the will of God, grace given to us. So when we speak the word, we speak that which is pure. Well, look at it in James 3.17. When we speak the word, what, what it tells us we're speaking. James 3. 17. Now, if you want to put in place of the word wisdom in that verse, the word of God, you can do that. But the wisdom or the word of God, which is from above. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? Pure. So if you want to find out if what, you're, what you've had revealed to you is of God, is it pure? Then peaceable. Then gentle and easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality, that means without favoritism. God has no favorites as such. He's no respecter of persons. He gives the same word to everybody. God doesn't give you a higher revelation than the next person, contrary to the word of God. And then the last one says, and without what? Hypocrisy. If God says it, it's true. Whether it looks like it, smells like it, or acts like it, it's true if God says it. And you're not being a hypocrite to say what God's word says. That's important to know. You know, when we quote something opposite to the Scripture and call ourselves Christians, we're more of a hypocrite than we would if we were to say what God says, even if we don't see it. Did you hear what I said? When we go through a trial that looks like we're not going to make it and we begin to confess we're not going to make it, we're hypocrites because we're not harmonizing our words with what God says. That's why... Solomon in Proverbs says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from trouble. You want to stay out of trouble? Keep your mouth. Keep your tongue. Be careful what you say. These boys and girls don't realize the truth that's in that song, that, that chorus they sing. Oh, be careful little lips what you say. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful little lips what you say. The person who watches his mouth and watches his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Look at Matthew, the 12th chapter with me for a moment. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. I could actually go back to 33 and read it for you through 37. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the, the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle or inoperative or non-productive or empty or non-working word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. That's powerful, isn't it? Every non-productive, inoperative, empty 
non-working word that we speak, we give a, an answer for in the judgment, in the day of judgment before the Lord. Jesus said, you know, I'm very, very careful. I don't say anything except the Father tell me to say it. Aren't we frivolous and light today with our words? I mean, many times I'm around Christians and I hear all kinds of slang, I all kinds of frivolity come out, light things, almost non-sacred, I mean, almost sacrilegious things come out many times. And I think, I wonder if, if we shouldn't be more careful. According to the Scripture, if it's a non-productive, inoperative word, we're going to answer to God for it. And I, I really wonder if our words are really harmonizing with His word in these areas. A truth is, whatever we say, you can mark it down, eventually we're going to get it. By the words of your mouth, you're snared. By the words of your tongue, you're snared. Whatever you say, whatever you confess, whatever you speak out is what you're going to get. Can you imagine what would have happened on the day of creation if God had said, let there be confusion? But he said, let there be light. Man brought confusion since then. But God speaks truth and God speaks light. And if we speak the truth, Peace and harmony comes. If we speak that which does not harmonize with God, then we also... You see, it's a two-edged sword. I like that. If you speak what God says, truth will come to you. Those things that you confess will be yours if they're consistent with God's Word. If you confess that which is out of harmony with God's Word, Satan begins to activate. I've said it before. Faith in God's Word activates God. Doubt in God's Word activates who? And let me assure you, he's just there ready to move anytime he can. Whatever we give him permission to do with our lips, he begins to move on. My wife and I just last night had to go back and renounce a confession that had come out of our lips. Confession of doubt. And I said, you know, Satan sure got a handle on us just now. Let's go back and renounce that confession we just made. In Jesus' name, we're going to confess what the Word says. You know, I happen to be studying this, and all of a sudden I realized here, out of my mouth popped this negative confession. We went back and asked the Lord to forgive us and said we are going to confess what the Word says, not what we see, not what we feel, not what we think we're experiencing. We'll confess what the Word says. In the Old Testament, God was speaking to the Jews in the book of Malachi. And in Malachi 2.13, I'm going to read it to you from the Living Bible. 2.13, he says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. In the living King James, I believe it says something about uh, they had come before the altar and had cried and wept and all these things with a whole bunch of words. And, uh, yeah, and this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and we with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regarded not the offering anymore nor received it with goodwill at your hand. He said, you've absolutely weird me. Come and you weep and you slobber and you blubber all over the altar, but you don't really mean it. You aren't honest with me. Verse 3, chapter 3, 13, he says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. How are they stout against him? Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Verses 14 and 15, I'm going to read them to you again from the Living Bible. Listen, you have said it is foolish to worship God and to obey him. What good does it do to obey his laws and to sorrow and mourn for our sins? From now on, as far as we're concerned, blessed are the arrogant. For those who do evil shall prosper, and those who dare God to punish them shall get off scot-free. Wasn't that a beautiful confession? Oh, everybody else is getting away with it. What in the world? Have you ever heard anybody say that? What's the use? 
I mean, here I've tried to serve God. Here I've gone to church. Here I've given money to the church. Here I've tried to work in the church. Here I've done all these good things. And my neighbor's a godless man, and he's just prospering. Everything's flowing his way, and we're just in deep trouble, and we're just having problems all the time. And God said, hey, I'm sick of your word. Don't come around my altar and give those negative confessions to me. That's contrary to everything I've taught you. Now, either get your mouth in order or shut up. That's what he said. Your words have been stout against me. Why are you standing there coming against me with words that don't harmonize with what I told you? Get your words in order and in line with my words, and then I can bless you. Haven't you heard that? People come around and say, well, it just doesn't pay to serve God anymore. You just can't be honest in business anymore and make, a, make any money. Just can't, just can't get, a, get ahead today if you're honest. How many of you heard somebody say that? Can't get ahead today and be honest. Is that what the word says? Your words are stout against the Lord. And he says either get your words in order with me or shut up. Don't say anything. If you can't say anything right that harmonizes with me, be quiet. Abraham Lincoln took a verse and twisted it a little bit and said it's better for a man to keep his mouth shut and let men think him a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. God says keep your mouth shut. Don't make those statements that are not in harmony with my word. I'm wearied by your words, by that negative confession. And I just wonder this morning, how many of us today are going around right now because of a problem in our life making negative confessions that do not harmonize with God's Word? And the result is no abundance, no triumph, no victory, no joy, no peace, because we've said stout words against the Lord. Amos 3, 3 says, Can two people walk together except they agree? Do we want to walk together with the Lord? He says, if you want to walk with me, you're going to have to get your mouth straightened out, get your attitude straightened out, get in line with what I say, and we can walk along in agreement. Be able to experience on a daily basis God's blessing, God's provision, God's promises in our lives. We have to harmonize our words with what His Word says, what the Word of God says. How many of you know what Romans 8.28 says? Let me see your hand. Romans 8.28, without looking. Will you say it with me? For we... Say that word again. For we what? We what? Okay, let's go on. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, for them who are the called according to His purpose. How many of you know that and believe that? Let's see your hand. How many of you knowing that and believing that still go around doubting and grumbling and making strong words against the Lord in your daily experience? Well, I just knew it was going to happen that way. <laughs> That's the way the whole day's been going. Started off bad, it's been bad ever since. And you know, for we know, we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Oh, might as well have expected it. Smashed my car yesterday. Sure, I should have known the dishwasher would break down today. Yeah, I knew the kids were going to get into trouble. There goes the iron on the floor. I just expected that to happen. Of course, it's just negative, 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 negative. Now, you watch. Next week, I'll get to work, and that boss will get madder at me, and I'll get canned. You watch and do it this way. But we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, for those who are the called according to the Would you believe that I got fired last week? I don't know what I'm going to do now. Man, things are just in a hopeless state. There's just no way we're going to be able to pay our bills. No way we're going to be able to have gas in our car. You know, the way things are going for a long, in a couple, three more months, we won't be able to go anywhere or do anything. 
For we know that all things, glory to God, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And I just don't see how in the world we're going to make it. I'm just showing you exactly what happens. And that's what Jesus was just talking about here, this tree. He said, if you're a good tree, you should bring forth good fruit. Not good fruit now and sour fruit later. Not salt water and spring water out of the same thing. Begin to see to it that your roots are rooted and grounded in the Word of God so you, what you say harmonizes with what God says. We're going to get into a whole lot of examples of this tonight, if we have time. But I think it's something that we need to renew our understanding on again, that God has made provisions for us, and he said that his thoughts toward us are continually good, and the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, that, that we should, when, when we fall into diverse temptations and tests and trials, we should grumble and gr no, no, we should rejoice, shouldn't we? For great is your reward in heaven. But Brother Webb, what am I going to do with this ten cents? Is all I got in my pocket, and we've run out a week for our money before we ran out a week. There's just no way I'm going to see through. God says, uh oh, watch your mouth. My God shall. Yeah, but I've only got a dollar left. I've had this dollar ever since Tuesday, and that's all I've got in my pocket. Well, thank God you still got a dollar. The Lord didn't send some plague along to take that dollar away from you yet, did he? Huh? Thank you, Lord, for the dollar. Thank you, Lord, for the 50 cents. Thank you, Lord, for the... Lord, you want me to give this dollar? Lord, I need gas tomorrow morning. How am I going to get gas? You know, see what the devil does? You don't dare give that dollar. We might have to have gas tomorrow morning. Lord, do you really want me to give this dollar? Well, Lord, if I do, will you give me something back so I can get some gas tomorrow morning? Lord, do you want me to stay home from work tomorrow? What do you want me to do? See how our minds work? Get in harmony with God's word. Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together. My God shall supply all your needs. You, don't you realize that your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of all these things? The sparrows of the field, the lilies of the field, that God provides for them, and Solomon in all his glory, not arrayed like unto one of these things. And God says, get your mouth straightened out, clean up your tongue, clean up your act, get the word in your heart, say the word, don't say the doubts, don't say the fears, say the word, say the word, say the word, agree. Jesus said, I don't say anything but what he said it. I'm not going to imagine anything, I'm not going to think up something new and say it, I'm going to say what he says. If I say what he says, I know it's productive. Lord, make us productive. In Jesus' name. Challenge our hearts to say the things that you want us to say, to do the things you want us to do, to be the things you want us to be, to live the lives you want us to live. Let the Word of God purge our hearts and make us to be those vessels unto honor that uplift and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Minister to hearts this morning and cause their spirits to be lifted up and challenged to begin to come into harmony. Let their words come into harmony with what God's Word says. Father, let that be a truth. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That I might not sin. That I might not sin. That I might not sin against thee. Lord, keep us from sin in Jesus' name. Sanctify our hearts and make us to be consistent with what you say. That we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name we ask and for his sake. With your head bowed right now, would you just say, Lord, I ask you to make my words to be in harmony with your words. 
I ask you to take my eyes off of circumstances, to get my eyes off of the problem, and let me put my eyes back on you. You cannot fail, for you're God. Forgive me for confessing that you could fail. For, can forgive me for confessing that you can't meet my need. Forgive me for thinking that I'm alone when you said you'd be with me. That's sin. And I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and sanctify my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh God, my strength and my redeemer, let it be so, Father. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.